Time for our first Bible reading, which is from Micah chapter 5, which you'll find on page 658 in the Pew Bible. Micah chapter 5, page 658. Reading from verse 1. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrian invades our lands and march through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, seven eight leaders of men even eight leaders of men. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrian when he invades our land and marches into our borders. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for man or linger for mankind. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you, and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your carved images and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow, bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles and demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed me. The second reading is in um, uh, chap uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 12. Uh, it's on page 681 of your Pew Bible. Chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, 
Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will, be, will, come, will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them that at that time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Again, let me add my welcome. Uh, welcome if you're regular and are here normally. Welcome if you're new, visiting, passing through, if you're here for uh, the excitement of a double baptism. It's great to have you amongst us. Uh, if you could turn back to that first reading from Micah chapter 5 would be a great help. Uh, we've been looking at the prophet Micah about 700 years before uh, Jesus was around. We've been looking and seeing how remarkable our God is, who is not like us, uh, with his passion for justice and what is right. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge as well as a word of encouragement. So uh, please do have it open in front of you as we look at it more closely. But even more, uh, we need the Lord's help that we might know him. So let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you uh, that you are our rock of refuge. Uh, we thank you you are our hope and trust. Uh, we thank you that we can turn to you uh, and find rescue and deliverance. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word in which we find life. Uh, and we pray this morning that your spirit would be at work in each and every one of us, uh, taking these words from thousands of years ago and writing them freshly on our hearts and minds that we might find comfort uh, and joy and satisfaction in them. May we find uh, reason to rejoice in you and may you use it to change us to become more and more like our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, yesterday I had the chance to catch up with some uh, men from church and talk about prayer. Uh, there's nothing like a conversation about prayer to, to pointedly and slightly painfully raise who uh, my hope is in, who my dependence is in, who my trust is in. Uh, you know, we're all geared to hope, we all do it instinctively. Uh, it's just a matter of who we place our trust in. Uh, workplaces have this growing culture of uh, mentoring where we, we bank our career development on being close enough to you know, the right person. Uh, and our, our natural you know, trust in others shapes the way that we act, shapes the way that we think. Even when we've been burnt before by individuals who've kind of let us down and not met expectations, you know, think you know, Obama's yes we can, kind of morphing into no we, we can't. You know, despite that, we, we still invest hope in others, we keep doing it. If you had to put a name to those you hope in, who is it that you hope in to secure your future? Micah's name means who is like the Lord. 
Uh, and his prophecy, as we've been working through it, keeps stretching us and stretching us to see just how different God is from us, to encourage us to see how seriously he takes justice, how much he's going to reform and fix this broken world. Uh, and Micah 5 pushes us to consider how his promises shape our hope. They make us hope differently. Uh, Micah preaches to people and they're under immense pressure. Uh, it's the 8th century BC. Um, Micah spoke to, to a divided people of God. Uh, there was a superpower of the day, a, a, a nation called Assyria, up and over to the side. They loomed you know, menacingly over them. They'd taken over some other places. They were on their way, marching down towards them. Uh, even worse, though, than the threat of Assyria was the fact that God, uh, in the earlier chapters of Micah, had, had expressed his commitment to justice, and that meant actually destruction of their unjust and corrupt and idolatrous community. But beyond that, God, God had promised beyond destruction, there was a great future for them. Uh, chapter 4, if you are with us last week, he spoke about this time of destruction being reversed, an era of blessing, uh, a promise of an eternal and secure, perfect reality. Uh, chapter 5 kind of builds on that hope, what we just had read to us from Dave. It builds on that hope, uh, but it picks up more. How, how will that hope come to be? You know, who's going to bring it about? What is it going to look like to be in an era of that kind of justice? At one point I want us to grasp uh, clearly this morning from Micah 5. Hope for the future depends entirely on one person. It depends entirely on one person. How to put it another way, hope is personal. So Micah 5 verse 1, uh, Micah is speaking to these people under siege and they, they, he paints an image of Israel's ruler, their leader, being, being beaten around. That is, um, their king, their most powerful figure, is completely at the mercy of his enemies. And so Micah says, you know, marshal your troops. It's a slightly ironic call, you know, because he's speaking to people who, who can do nothing to change their fortune. But he's warning them it's danger. It's not, a, it's not a taunt. He's just trying to help them see they've hit rock bottom before the big reveal. They might be powerless, yes, their king might be struck down and slapped on the cheek with a rod, but, but divine justice will be secured by the work of one person and that one person will move from insignificance to power. So his origins are insignificant. In verse 2, a ruler is coming to Be- from Bethlehem. And that's actually bad news. Uh, we who've been around Christmas carols long enough think Bethlehem, super. No, no, coming from Bethlehem's bad news. Jerusalem, that's the city of kings. That's where rulers come from. That's where you look for for rescue. Coming from Bethlehem uh, presupposes that great King David's line has fallen somehow from glory to poverty, that, that Jerusalem's nothing anymore. Um, in Joshua 15, uh, when, when the people of God are about to go into the land God promised them, there are over a hundred cities mentioned by name and allocated just to the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem doesn't even get a mention there. It's not in the top hundred or so. You know, Bethlehem's primary significance here is that it's insignificant. You know, God is pointedly choosing the weak and the obscure. You know, this, this individual won't, won't come with high expectations. As Isaiah wrote, he'll be, he'll be the stump of Jesse. That is, he'll be the, this kind of pathetic leftovers of a once great family who are now nothing. Yeah, and that person will come from this insignificance to great power. It's not going to be easy in verse 3. In verse 3, it's going to be through suffering to glory, just like a woman's labour. You know, God's people are being warned in advance of that painful process so they don't lose heart in dark times. Yeah, and through pain, this, this leader will rise to great power. 
You know, still in verse 3, he's going to be ruling many. He'll regather his brothers. That is, he'll reunite a nation that was broken and divided and warring. And in verse 4, he is going to stand and he will shepherd the flock in, in the strength of the Lord. Uh, we've already been, if you've been with us before in Micah, we've seen the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord is he can bring superpowers to their knees and he can judge them. And it's that kind of strength that this shepherd will exert. Yeah, and his rule is not going to be limited. It's not going to be kind of stuck geographically to one little tiny place, one little area, but it will stretch to the ends of the earth at the end of verse 4. You know, in verse 5, he is strong enough to be a peacemaker, to make peace for people. He will, he, his people, in verse 4, will live securely. Uh, literally, the expression is they will sit securely because he stands at watch over them. That is, they can kind of, you know, the flock can kind of, loll around on the grass and they can chew away and they can just sit because there is one who is great power who stands protecting them. God guarantees there is a great future. The future for God's people is, yes, there's limited affliction, but but ultimately it's restored unity. Ultimately it is lasting security. The future is peace. And all of that hinges on one person. Uh, and start of verse 5, he will be their peace. Hope is personal. He will be their peace. Yeah, and at one level to think, yeah, hope's personal, that's, that's fairly normal. Yeah, to hope in an individual, that's normal. We, we do it all the time. A minister uh, told the story of a, a couple whose life had not gone to plan. Uh, the husband was, this, uh, it was a fit, healthy guy, good job, comfortable life. Uh, prior to marriage, he, he felt uh, lonely. Uh, he'd met this great woman who happened to you know, not only be a great, lovely woman in all sorts of ways, but she shared his passions for life in the outdoors and in mountain biking and, and she brought the best out in him and she became, in many ways, his driving force. Uh, they married and not long after, uh, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, uh, one that would be long-term, one that would be progressive. Uh, And painful as it was for uh, this man to admit it, uh, his hopes began to crumble. So her illness meant not only, uh, you know, could she not share his passions, um, he would he'd actually have to give them up to take care of her. Now, without going into their pain, without uh, kind of picking on his failings, um, it's an example of what we do all the time. You know, we personalise our hope. We, our desires and our expectations come together on the shoulders of others, uh, even ourselves. You know, that, oh, she'd be the perfect friend. You know, life would be good, the future would be certain if I could just, you know, get close and be buddies with her. Or, you know, life would be complete if I married him. You know, the future would look so good. You know, my career would be on track if only I could get a job working for her. Uh, American research into pastors who left paid ministry permanently... Uh, found that second after burnout, uh, the reason pastors left was the unwritten expectations of and on the pastor. It is normal. We do it all the time. We personalise hope. The problem is it's essential that we put hope on the right individual. Micah points to the one individual who can actually bear all the weight of our hopes for a secure, perfect future. An individual who would actually allow his cheek to be struck by his enemies. And Micah points us to an individual who was born into obscurity in the little town of Bethlehem, an individual who, who would stand in God's strength and gather up God's people, bind them together as a flock. He points us to an individual who will be the peace for the whole earth. 
Yeah, Micah points us to Jesus. Yeah, how remarkable God is that, that one man can transform the world entirely. Yeah, it's right that uh, we measure time as BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. It is right because world history actually swings on one person. Now, and what a relief it is that there is someone who can, can actually bear that weight and can transform this world. Uh, the Christmas Carol puts it, uh, our little town of Bethlehem, I'm not going to sing it. It's a little too early in the year to do that. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You know, we are geared to, to hope in individuals, but only in Jesus can every person you know, across the ages have their hopes for the future met. I need to be careful here. Jesus won't grant every desire or every wish, even some honourable ones. At Micah 5, uh, verse 1, uh, calls people to marshal tr- their troops. The, the, the idea is actually the path to glory is through suffering still. Uh, but Jesus has uh, and will do everything required to establish justice and true peace. You know, dying, he's covered uh, the deepest sins of believers. Rising, he grants uh, to, to all believers new life. He grants them life as slaves to righteousness rather than sin. Yeah, and returning when he comes back, he will put an end to all injustice, every trace of self-interest and conflict and war and dissatisfaction and corruption in this world. You know, Ephesians 2 echoes what Micah says in Ephesians 2.14, Jesus himself is our peace. You know, maybe you need to know that peace today. Maybe you need to think about where your hope is placed or misplaced. A hospital chaplain told uh, a 3am phone call that he received uh, a certain Mr Smith, we'll call him, uh, wanted to talk to someone about life and death urgently. Uh, So he gets to the ward, it's about 3.30 in the morning uh, and Mr Smith shares his fear of death. He started telling the chaplain about his life, how he'd been a good man, Uh, he'd served his country with distinction, he'd been honest in business, he taught in Sunday school. You know, he was an individual and he was a man with hope in an individual himself. Uh, And yet despite all his goodness, he was afraid. And the chaplain spoke to him about the sufficiency of Christ, spoke to him about it for for some time, uh, until he noticed that tears were welling up in uh, Mr Smith's eyes and so... Uh, chaplain stopped speaking, allowed him to speak, and through his tears, Mr. Smith said, I feel so much at peace. I feel so much at peace. Somewhere in that conversation, somewhere in the, you know, the kind of wee small hours of the morning, Mr. Smith had given up uh, trusting in his own goodness and found one individual who can actually secure eternity, one who can make the future perfect. And when he died a few days later, he died at peace. Now, we all hope in individuals, but it is unfair to expect them to give you the perfect future. You know, if you're doing that to your friends, your family, your neighbour, your work, you are being mean to them. They can't do that. You know, only one individual can bear that weight. And as Micah points us to that one individual, he, he goes on to talk about, okay, if you put your hope in him, what will life be like under this shepherd? You know, if you go to him, what can you expect? 
Uh, he uses a refrain uh, four times in, in the original through it, you know, and it shall be in verse 5, 7, 8, 10. You know, what it will be like if you go on hoping the shepherd. Uh, four features of life under the shepherd to bring to you. Four, four signs that you hope in Jesus. Four features of, of what believers one day will be completely and ought to be even now. First, life under the shepherd is secure. Uh, in verse 5, peace has implications. Uh, peace can't exist, as you read on in verse 5 and 6, without enemies being destroyed. Now, Micah uh, pictures Assyria coming to them. But also in verse 6, he talks about Nimrod. Uh, Nimrod was a, a superpower of even a thousand or so years before Micah's time. Um, the idea is that he's helping us see that this shepherd can overcome any and every enemy, not just the Assyrian problem. Yeah, and he can more than hold his own. Uh, there are seven shepherds and, and eight princes or rulers, you know, a symbol of having power, not just enough that he can defend himself, but actually he can drive them back. You see, peace is victory. Uh, and life under the shepherd is secure because he wins victory. You know, Jerusalem uh, did end up having Assyria on its doorstep, only to be driven back. But our security in the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, is stronger than that. Uh, in, in John 10, when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, after that he goes on and says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. See, in baptising uh, Todd and Alice today, uh, we spoke, bravely about, uh, spoke about fighting bravely against sin and the world and the devil. And without underestimating, yeah, the Christian life can be a real struggle. Uh, in all honesty, the battle is a foregone conclusion. In Christ, you are secure. Yeah, you fight against the sin within, but you know it can't overcome you. Uh, in Romans 7, Paul talks about his own internal wrestle, the fact that he, he doesn't do the good he wants to do and, do, and does the, good he, uh, the evil he doesn't want to. In his conclusion, you know, who, can, who can rescue him from being the wretch he is? His conclusion, thanks be to God through Jesus. You know, even our sin can't overcome us and make us insecure. We, you know, we fight against the world's trials and temptations, knowing that you know, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. You know, we fight the devil, uh, knowing, as Romans 16 puts it, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, life under the shepherd means no enemy can take away your place in the perfection of eternity. Life is secure. Secondly, life under the shepherd is refreshing. Uh, in verse 7, the shepherd's people are like dew. They're like showers on the grass. Uh, it's this image of, of refreshment, of revitalisation. You know, that is, God's people have a beneficial effect on others. You know, for those who actually live for Jesus, they will go on to love like Jesus. You know, our, our good works aren't optional. They are the, they're actually the path that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. You know, we are to be the salt and light of this world. You know, we, we should be the Jew, the blessing on the nations. Uh, our gracious, grateful speech is what others should long to hear of more. Uh, a Christian teacher I know had this strange experience of uh, having another teacher join him on playground duty. Uh, now, normally, you know, playground duty is you know, the enemy of all teachers uh, and you would hide away in your staff room and uh, keep your distance. Uh, but this teacher actually chose, on the times he wasn't rostered on, uh, to go out to playground duty to hang around with this Christian teacher. And he was kind of asked why. He explained how you know, the quality of the conversation in the staff room 
was just low and discouraging when that Christian wasn't there. There was something that was a blessing about his conversation that was noticeable. You know, we are to bless the people we live amongst. Yeah, it is right to, to ask that question of uh, how your work, how your community, how your family would be worse off without you refreshing them. Because if you live under the shepherd, you are due to them. Yeah, and we are due to the people of Kirribilli. Now, it's great that our soul leaders are thinking about possibilities for, for future youth activities uh, to actually help others, you know, whether it be you know, chipping in and, and helping at a community lunch or, or raising money for people in need. It's, it's great that our kids' church uh, sponsor a compassion child, Brian. You know, we are helping them see the reality of life under the shepherd of discipleship because life under him is refreshing others. Third sign of your hope in him Third sign of life under the shepherd is predatory. Uh, Verse 8 and 9, there's a strange paradox. God's people are like lions among the lambs. They are triumphant over their enemies. Yet, yes, we refresh those around us, but we're also the bane of the nations. Now, if it seems a little at odds, it's the tension of being both in this world but not of this world. You know, ultimately, uh, this will be fulfilled when, when Christ returns. Um, then when he returns, 1 Corinthians 6 points out, uh, those who believe in Christ will actually join in judging the world. But even now, we have this strangely predatory role in this world. Uh, not that we violently make war on others, not that we are harsh moralists, but the reality of Philippians 2, where, where we shine as light in, into this crooked and depraved generation, means that our passion for goodness will expose the darkness of others. Our passion for, for goodness means we will take on evils when we see them. You know, points that will just be, you know, our gracious speech will make those who don't do the same feel bad. You know, and so, you know, they might feel picked on because they're showing up. But at other points, it will mean we, we go out and we seek to, to challenge destructive and unjust behaviour that we see. You know, we'll go on the front foot to attack the norms. You know, men like Wilberforce, men like Martin Luther King, they were, they were such predators. You know, and we'll also stand firm to protect what's good, even against the tide. Like lions amongst the lamb. That's, that's what should be driving uh, the Christian responses to the change in the marriage act at the moment. As our Archbishop wrote on that topic, part of the difficulties experienced in so many marriages can be attributed to the general confusion which, which surrounds it. As never before, marriage needs to be understood and honoured so that it can achieve the human good for which it is designed. It will be helpful for Christians to thoughtfully and courteously let their views be known. Get that? We, yes, we, we are the refreshment, but part of that is by taking on the wrongs of this world. Life under the shepherd is predatory to evil. Finally, if your hope is in him, life under the shepherd expected to be purifying. Even now, under his rule, we're being made into holy people. Uh, From verse 10 on, Micah paints how God's people are going to experience a a stripping back. You know, that our our lack of confidence will be stripped away. In verse 10 and 11, uh, their horses, their chariots, their strongholds, they'll all be broken down. Um, That's military security. You know, the the horses and chariots, that's, you know, tanks and choppers and defence budgets of the day. Yeah, and Judah had, had, had been tempted in the past to trust those kind of things. And much like we might trust our, our bank accounts, our jobs, 
but they are false and fading confidence. Yeah, perhaps you've bought into false and fading confidence. Well, in God's kindness, he will strip that away. A woman in our broader church shared how uh, the GFC saw them lose their, their family home in Mossman. Uh, and yet she was spiritually richer for having that false confidence taken away. She was spiritually richer for being reminded that Christ was the one who really sustains her. You know, our, our, our lack of confidence will be stripped away and likewise our discontent with God will be stripped away and removed. From verse 12, uh, religious substitutes will be stripped back um, they used to use sorcery to try and control the future and, and they, divination would predict the future so then you could kind of act and take advantage of things and, and, and there were carved images which were kind of syncretistic worship. You know, the idea, I can, I can cherry-pick my religion. I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of that and I'll come up with my own master mix of the super best value religion. And, and they were all signs of lack of contentment in God and God's provision and God's ways. And Christ will strip his people of that. Uh, this week I've been encouraged by a man who's new to faith in Jesus. We uh, met up and we read the Bible for an hour or so this week and he said, I could do, I could do this all day. You know, he is finding that satisfaction and the contentment of giving up other securities and finding the satisfaction and contentment of throwing his lot in with Jesus. Yeah, the idea of being stripped back, it can be painful, uh, but it's true joy as those barriers to relating to God are taken away. And he does it more and more until that time when he takes us to glory and we'll be truly pure. So hope is personal and we do it all the time. We, we hope personally in others. But in God's mercy, he has given us one who is actually worthy of all hope, who can actually bear hope for a great and perfect future. You know, it is him who is our peace. Let's trust in him alone. Let's give thanks for him. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy we thank you that in your kindness and mercy you have given us one who is worthy of all hope one who can and will transform this world entirely one who will change the corruption of this world and bring a perfect and secure future we thank you that even now we can come to him even now we can depend on him even now you are working to purify us and and change us that we might be a great effect on others around us. Father, we thank you for the security that we have in Christ, that when we trust in him, our future can't be shaken. We give you thanks and praise for that one born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.